0: Today, we are doing another episode of the Ask the Coaches podcast. We put up on our Instagram account a few days ago some questions that we wanted you guys to populate, and we got a few good questions from you. And before we go into the details of everything, we're just gonna do a summary of what those questions are so that you can skip ahead if you want and just know what's ahead. So the first question was, what pace should I aim to race a 5K or half marathon? Is it at threshold, interval, slightly slower, slightly faster? The next question is, what are some things that I should avoid eating? What are the worst possible things that I could eat before a long run? The third question was, what effects, of birth control on female runner's performance. And then the fourth question was what exercises, workouts or circuits can I incorporate in the gym that will help with my running? And the fifth question was on the off season, can a runner maintain 60 miles per week and focus on getting leaner at the same time. So we're gonna go into a deep dive with all of these questions and we'll kick things off starting with that first one. So what pace should I aim to race for a 5K or a half marathon? Should I be running at threshold pace, interval pace, slightly slower, slightly faster? So, this is a really good question, and the topic of pacing is so broad, right? Um, in order to really answer this question, we would want to break down every type of pace within the run training um, pocket, so to speak. So, If you want to get like a visual and something that kind of breaks this down on a more calculated basis where you can have it printed out and right in front of you i really recommend going onto our website www.runforprs.com if you go on our main page we have a little freebie if you fill out that form just put your name and email and you'll get an email with an instant download PDF. And there's actually a step-by-step guide for calculating all of these paces based on your own personal fitness level. And I think it's a really good resource that we have available to everyone so that you can really calculate these paces and be empowered with this information. So again, that free download with all of these specific paces that you can calculate yourself is at www.runforprs.com filling out that first form on our website. So in that form, it's gonna go over in great detail everything that we're gonna talk about here. So first, it's really important to do a fitness test. And a fitness test, we also, sometimes as run coaches, we'll call this a time trial. In the past, when I first heard the word time trial back in, I think, 2011, 2010, I was like what does that mean i don't understand but essentially it's a timed like a trial run to see how fast can you cover a said distance and this timed trial will allow us a look at what your current fitness level is at oftentimes these are also called races so you would go to maybe a 5k race if you wanted to do this with other people But this is something that you can actually do by yourself on your own time, on your own terms. You could do it on the treadmill, you can do it outside. The idea would be to find somewhere that's relatively flat where you aren't really gonna have to stop for traffic or stop for whatever other reason on your run. Um, You would do a quick little warm up, so anywhere between five to 25 minutes, depending on your fitness level, at a really easy aerobic pace. Then you're gonna do that timed portion where we we are gonna see how fast can you run for a specific duration. So we'd wanna come up with that duration before we go out on our run, but usually these time trials are anywhere between one and three miles. At Run For PRs, we like our athletes just to do a two-mile time trial. So let's say you go out and you do this two miles. You'd wanna start at a pace that you, would be challenged at Um, and the difficult thing about this is if you've never really ran a race before if you're new to this sport it is going to be challenging to figure out what pace you're going to run for this time trial kind of the point of the time trial is to get a gauge of where your fitness test is at so if you think about if you were going to go to the gym in the weightlifting section and try to perform a one rep max It might be challenging to know where to start with that if you've never performed a test like that before. So a good rule of thumb, if you have absolutely no idea where your fitness level is at, I would start at a pace that's between 30 to 45 seconds faster than you would do when you go out and say you run like a moderate effort run of three to four miles. A lot of runners run too fast on their easy days and so my guess here is that um, you're gonna be going about 30 to 45 seconds per mile on this time trial than what you do when you walk and you run maybe like a harder effort, um, three to four mile run. So during that, you're gonna want to start on the slower end and then that second mile really pick up the pace and see what you can do. We really just can't establish any sort of paces without understanding where you're at currently. So even if you totally bomb this time trial, that is okay. And when I say bomb, I mean maybe you do the first mile at eight minute pace and the second mile you have to slow down a lot to like 945 pace and you're out of breath and all that stuff. That's totally fine. We can always assess again and retest. You can even try this um, maybe five, seven days later if you just totally ended up um, bonking, as they would call it. So this result is still a really good guide within reason. And your 5k pace, so back to the original question, what pace should I aim to race a 5k, half marathon, threshold intervals, all of these things. So the pace that you run for this two mile time trial is roughly about the same pace as your 5k pace. Um, Maybe slightly slower, right? So if you're doing two miles, let's say you do the two miles at eight minute pace, your 5k pace roughly um, like eight ten. Or even eight. Some people, they race better in a racing environment. So sometimes maybe you're going to be able to run about the same pace. Um, Then the next pace that is kind of brought up in this question is interval pace. What is intervals? Like when am I doing intervals? Um, So 20% of your weekly mileage, weekly volume is going to be done as a hard workout, So, what that's going to look like is interval workouts, threshold workouts, tempos, and going back to what is interval pace. So, intervals are going to be done anywhere between slightly faster than this 5k pace. So, let's go back to that 8 minute pace example. You could be doing intervals at like 7.30 pace for 30, 45, 60 seconds. And then on the slower end of that, you could be going closer to like a threshold pace, just depending on the purpose of the workout. So interval pace is usually faster, um, anywhere between like threshold and a little bit faster than your 5k pace. It's quite the range. So what exactly is your threshold pace? So threshold pace is typically 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than that time trial pace. So again, if you did eight-minute pace for that two-mile time trial, your threshold pace is going to be right around that 820, 830 range. And that's where you're going to do a lot of your threshold workouts at, right around that range. Then the question asks, what pace do I run my half marathon at? Well, your half marathon pace could be anywhere between like five to 20 seconds per mile slower than threshold. So again, with that eight-minute pace time trial, your threshold pace, 820 to 830, then your half marathon pace would be anywhere between like 8.25 and 8.50-ish. And then it's really important that whenever we do an event for the first time, or maybe even if it's like the fourth time you've done a half marathon, um, you're relatively newer to racing. So we might not want to go out at what this half marathon pace is we might want to ease into things a little bit more and do a little bit more of a conservative start. So there's different factors we wanna talk about when we're talking about racing. So for a half marathon and any endurance race that really is over, I don't know, anything over an hour in distance, there's just so many factors that come into play when it comes to endurance events. So you're gonna be thinking about fueling, you're gonna be thinking about your pacing, you're going to be thinking about strategy in terms of like the hillier sections, the flat sections. Um, race day weather comes into play. Hydration comes into play, and it's just a really long time to be out there. And I think there's different levels of where people are at in terms of their racing abilities. Um, you look at people who are professional athletes. And they are really pro level at everything racing. And so they're able to really hit their really aggressive, aggressive goals in a half marathon. Whereas like, let's say it was your first or even fifth half marathon, you might still be working out some of the kinks in terms of doing endurance events. So you might still be trying to really perfect that fueling strategy. Maybe you're not quite comfortable, um, Drinking while going through the aid stations. Maybe you have to stop to go to the bathroom. Maybe you just don't really feel confident pushing yourself uh, to that red line level at mile seven of a half marathon. Um, There's a lot of factors that go into it. And so I think it's always better to err on the side of caution. And if you are training for an event that's over an hour and you don't have a ton of experience maybe going um, for a more conservative goal to start off and then get more of that racing experience under your belt before you find the need to really like push for running right at that um, potential half marathon pace, just because we wanna have positive experiences racing and that can really help build our confidence and make us into stronger athletes in the long term. And so a lot of the things we talk about at Run for PRs Um, We are kind of conservative, and the reason for that is we want you as an athlete to thrive for the long term. We're not going to be trying to make a lot of risky decisions in the short term just to maybe gain an extra couple minutes. We'd rather have people have positive experience in the sport of running and all endurance events and make progressive gains over time rather than do something risky that could you know, cause injury, burnout,
1: all of those things. So I, I really liked how you broke down kind of establishing the, the paces for each athlete, right? Like calculating, um, figuring out how to run all these different paces cause it is confusing. And so by doing a time trial, um, that's really the best way to gauge that. And, and having someone in your corner like a run coach or someone that knows how to um, make these adjustments as, you, as your fitness Im- improves, I think is really valuable, really important to you. And not only just figuring out how to pace each race that you're going to do, but how to scaffold like the workouts. So like you mentioned, if you're kind of newer to doing speed endurance workouts, you might not quite hit interval pace right away. You might start at threshold pace or pace kind of in between the two and then work your way down. Whereas someone who's really experienced like collegiate runner or, um, you know, high school runner, they do shorter distance runs. They might, um, be able to hit some of those repetition paces that you see if you go into a VDOT calculator and you plug in a Mm. recent race result. And so there is a lot of information there to unpack. Um, a lot of times it will depend on what your race goals are, you know, especially if you have a 5k during a half marathon or marathon training cycle, it might not be considered a high priority race for you. So Like you mentioned, the goal is just to have a good experience. And so a lot of times I'll use that as an opportunity to really have an athlete focus on a negative split race. Um, Especially if we haven't done a 5K in a while, you know, we don't want to go out at their interval pace. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. want them to blow up. And so I think it's really important just to um, sort of know what are the ranges and then adjust accordingly based on um, season, time of year, you know, uh, weather, um, course elevation, all of those factors. So
0: Definitely. And I think there is, um, an under talked about thing in the running community that when you're new to a sport and you're getting into the endurance racing world, it can be difficult just to grasp onto that concept of racing. And I'm just having like flashbacks to 12 years ago, um, in college track. So I started running in college and I just happened to join the team like within a couple of years of starting to run. Um, so I really had no idea what I was doing. It was my first time ever running track and I was a junior in college and they put me in this 1500 race. And I remember I was like in the slowest wave and there, there I was kind of going and I remember, oh, I shouldn't pass these people in front of me because whatever in my coat. I was like looking at my coach, like, what do I do? Cause it's like, I didn't know that I could pass people. I didn't know like how to do it. What was the right etiquette? Um, and there's just so many things. And I was like, I don't want to like blow up, you know, I didn't want to push too hard. And so I think it's almost funny looking back now because that's something that now in a race, like, I don't even think about that. It's like second nature. I don't think about any of those things. I just think about how am I feeling? Right. Can I go faster? But For some reason in that moment, I didn't even know like could I go faster because I had never pushed myself to that limit before and I was really unsure and I didn't want to do something that would like jeopardize, right? And even recently like when we're doing some of these um, Nordic ski races this winter. Um, it was my first ski race I ever did. And I thought, you know, like I've done a million running races. This is no big deal. Like I, I wasn't even really that nervous, but then getting in there and being in that like beginner's mindset again, I was like, wow, this is really different because you're in a new environment. There's so many new variables. And while it's easy to be like, Oh, it's a completely different sport. It's really the same concept. And so I think anytime we're talking about someone, maybe doing even like their fifth half marathon, fifth marathon, fifth 5K. Um, That's still relatively new. And so you're still really learning a lot of things. And so I think starting with a more conservative goal and then you can use races to focus on different things, right? So with your first half marathon, let's say you did it and you kind of slowed down at the end. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty typical. We could go into that second half marathon with the goal to really work on not slowing down at the end. So how can we adjust things right. to achieve that goal? Um, and that would be like starting slower, right? And, and trying to push it the last four miles of the race versus at the beginning. Um, but let's say you have the opposite. Let's say your first half marathon, like you listened to some of our advice and maybe you felt like you kind of started too slow and you didn't really feel like you pushed it that much and you got to the finish and you were like oh I kind of I don't really feel like I pushed it well we could work on that for your next race your next race maybe setting a more aggressive goal maybe racing like a 5k a couple weeks out seeing where your fitness is at and maybe going after a slightly aggressive goal maybe starting a little bit higher up in that um that starting corral right maybe getting with the right pace group and pushing yourself a little bit sooner it's all about learning and growing through the sport and so even if that second one you ended up not pacing perfectly maybe you went out too fast well that's something you learned for the third one and so running is something you can always learn and grow from and so that's why it's good to just give yourself that grace and allowing for experience to kind of take over because I think pacing is one of the hardest things in the sport of running to learn so you might know exactly okay this is the pace I need to hit but executing it listening to your body and adapting on the fly I think is one of the most challenging things and that's why it takes runners maybe so long to reach their potential in the sport because there are a lot of pacing um pacing things that need to get learned
1: yeah I really liked how you just to wrap this up you know you talked about how each race might be a different focus right and not being so wrapped up on the time and that made me think of back when we kind of were running a lot of 5k races mm. our times would very probably by about 80 seconds oh, um, sure. fast end of the slow end and so and everywhere in between it just sort of depended on the timing of the race who was there you know the competitive field the weather kind of what our training looked like in the weeks leading up to that and so it's not necessarily like you know if you don't have a great performance time wise it doesn't mean there aren't key takeaways right like there's always things you can learn from And I know some of those smaller races we went to, we practice going out hard just to, uh, see what that's like, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'd practice, I'd just go out really conservative and then I'd hammer down the last mile. And so you sort of have an approach that you're going to try and and learn like what works for you, what doesn't. Um, but yeah, on a given course or a given race you're targeting, it's really important to us, you know, to examine your previous racing history. Uh, recent training look at the course the weather all of these factors and then just set up a targeted goal in mind and, and that's why having a coach is very valuable because they can help you establish that um, appropriate goal for your race
0: definitely a really good summary there so diving into the second question it was what are the worst possible things that you can eat before a long run So we've had different variations of this question. Oftentimes people want to know what are the best things you can eat. And I think maybe that's a good thing to preface it just in case people don't know. Um, So carbo loading, especially if you have a run over 60 to 90 minutes the next day, um, focusing on getting adequate carbohydrate intake. And they say simple carbs are the best way to go in terms of carbo loading um, two to three days before kind of laying off the fiber, um, but that, yeah, that dives into what is the worst things you can eat before long run. So it really depends on the person, what the worst thing is. Um, I, you know, in thinking about this question, I actually thought, you know, one of the worst things I think you can do is actually not eat before a long run. So like skipping a dinner, um, not eating the day before. I I feel like that's almost just a detrimental, if not worse than eating any of these other things on the list. So fueling is extremely important. Don't undervalue that. Um, But next I think things that are really important to avoid, especially if you're someone that um, struggles, you know, the day before, struggles with digestive issues. Um, Some people, for whatever reasons, have very strong stomachs and could literally tolerate any of the things I'm about to dive into before a long run. Like For whatever reason, their body just can process anything. They don't have any sort of GI distress. But on the flip side of that, I have a friend who can't even eat veggie straws the day before a run. Um, without having GI distress. So, I think it's really about knowing your own personal body. And that's just something to preface here. So, I think things that are important to avoid would be high fiber content. Um, so, if you're eating something like Fiber One bars, uh, anything that has like added fiber is probably gonna be real detrimental, right? Um, Because you're probably going to be going over the um, guidelines for how much you should even be taking in a day. And that, I mean, that's really going to be cleaning you out and causing some distress. Uh, With that being said, there's also a lot of foods that just have naturally high fiber. And so for a lot of people, they also want to avoid those things before a long run especially if they've noticed you know having some gi distress and i don't know what it is so salads or you know broccoli just anything that's really going to cause fiber right things with a lot of fiber there's a lot of food with fiber but that's why i think going back to the simple um simple carbs Really important. Uh, a lot of times people ask me, why do you eat white rice instead of brown rice? Well, that could be a fiber, right? So brown rice has more fiber and white rice is just more of like a simple, simple carb. It, it, it's a really good food for pre-long run. Um, usually they say to avoid fiber and also greasy foods. Uh, spicy foods also can be on the GI track. I So I would think the worst possible thing you could do, like this would be it. Eating two Fiber One bars like for lunch, then going out to happy hour and ordering a burger, um, hu- hu- buffalo wings, um, what a-, a beers, cocktails, and that would be yeah, that would be a recipe for disaster because. Alcohol is also going to be um, a diuretic. So anything that's really going to make you go to the bathroom more, I think, are the things we want to avoid because no one wants to be making a trip to the porta potty every uh, five minutes during a uh, two-, three-hour-long run.
1: Right. No, those are all good good examples. And I think when I'm, you know, when I'm reviewing a lot of my athletes' training logs, they leave comments. And the, and the times where the runs maybe don't go so well or they didn't feel so hot, it's usually like eight times out of ten, it's it's an underfueling issue, and they acknowledge that, right? They know it's something they maybe didn't eat enough, um, and so whether it was like that morning before the workout, or it was like the night before, or the whole day before, they just like didn't didn't eat enough, and so I have a few people that struggle with that, um, you know, on a on a week to week basis where they they just have a they have a tough tough time getting enough calories as a whole, and so that would definitely be one of the things, especially as you're approaching a harder workout or a longer run. Making sure you're not under fueled, and then just like eating the foods that sit well with you. And so for me, I'm I'm someone that I've always kind of had that stomach where I can handle pretty much anything. Now I wouldn't eat like I wouldn't go to Happy Hour and have buffalo wings and a beer and then try to run a few hours later. But um, typically, you know, a day if I eat something greasy the day before, it doesn't seem to bother me the next day too much. But um, every athlete is different, and so just knowing your body. Um, one other thing that I thought of here was like uh, liquid based foods. So like if you maybe rely too much on that, like I know when I was tri training, um, that didn't sit too well with me. I was trying to get a lot of my, my carbs and my sodium through a liquid form and I just noticed some GI distress. So I had to go back to eating more like whole foods while I was on the bike and stuff. So that could be something too. If you're relying too much on like liquid foods, that can just make you feel not so great. So you know, if you're doing a lot of like smoothies, juices, stuff like that, make sure that you are eating uh, enough whole foods as well. So,
0: Definitely. So the next question dives into something that um, definitely is, is trendy right now. So what are the effects of birth control on female runner performance? Yeah, this is quite the question. Um, so one book that I really recommend uh, is the book Roar, and I believe it's by Dr. Before I book uh, roar, period. It's about like a period, your period and stuff. But Dr. Tracy Sims, I think, is, is the author. Um, but it's a really good book that breaks down um, just hu- female human performance in endurance sports. It talks about how to fuel during different times of your cycle, it talks about the impacts of. Birth control and it talks about how you can train um, and adjust your training according to your menstrual cycle. Um, she also has another book that's really good for the older female athletes who are you know after reproductive years and kind of what that looks like in terms of performance and how to really optimize your your training and during that season of life. Um, so one thing to really think about is anytime you're taking synthetic hormones, obviously you're changing the body system, um, in some way, there's definitely benefits to taking birth controls. Um, are there drawbacks, but so benefits, right? So why would you take birth control, right? So there's obviously reasons why women are taking birth control pills and this can go Anywhere from just trying to um, avoid pregnancy to stabilizing hormones to, in some cases, they even prescribe birth control to people who have genetic mutations such as BRCA1 to help avoid um, or help to reduce the risk of ovarian cancer. So that's actually been studied, and so there are some, you know, benefits to going on the birth control pill. So definitely something that you should chat with your doctor about and do some research because it is such an individualized um, choice. But with that being said, I think it is really trendy right now, at least on the internet, you see a lot of these things like trending, right? Um, One of the things that I'm seeing trend a lot is like ice baths and sauna and gosh, like carnivore, like eating carnivore. And so I think sometimes when there's like trending things, we always want to kind of dive a little bit deeper. One of the things that I'm seeing really um, trending on social media is kind of the slamming of birth control and how it's like really bad for people. That I mean, that's the messaging that I'm getting, right? Um, so I'm not surprised by this question. Uh, and so in a lot of the research that I was looking up in preparing for this podcast, I didn't really find any um, legit studies where there was a meaningful uh, impact or a statistically relevant um, impact negatively on women in sports. And so we will be linking what some of these, uh, studies were and their conclusions. Um, essentially what some of the studies were getting at was that the fluctuation in the hormones of a woman who's not on birth control, that also impacts your performance in a negative manner. And then if you're on birth control, they, they, they said, yes, there is some performance um, downfalls there, but they don't have that fluctuation. And so it almost like negated out um, the, ben- the pros and cons on either side. So it's, it's so similar that it's not even statistically relevant to um, talk about what is better to, to be. So I think if you're gonna be thinking about what are ways to increase my performance as a female athlete, Um, and you're looking at getting off of a birth control pill or any sort of prescription. I think it's like really important to just have that conversation with your doctor and understand that there are probably better ways to try to get faster than, um, going off the birth control pill in this case. So I would think, you know, trying even something as simple as like getting alpha fly shoes or, um, doing something like beat, um, beat juice before a run those things are actually scientifically proven to have an increase in your performance and so those things might actually be better routes that you could go down um, rather than getting off of the birth control pill that's the only reason why you want to do it right there's a there's so many more things that could be the reason for getting off of a birth control pill or going on it but i wouldn't use running performance as one of those reasons because it seems to be pretty um, similar on either side.
1: Good. I'm glad to have you on that call to take that one. Um, Uh, The next one is what exercises or workouts or circuits can I incorporate in the gym to help with my running? Um, So first of all, you know, running, running is going to be the best thing you can do that directly makes you a better runner. Other workouts strengthen your endurance or muscles. And there's a lot of things you can do uh, that are considered strength or lifting that can help increase, you know, your um, or decrease your risk for injury prevention, increase your strength, stability, all that. And so I guess to, for starters, let's talk about why runners lift and what is the purpose. Um, you know, what, what runners need with their lifting program is basically four things. They need strength, power, stabilization and postural alignment. So when you break down a lifting program, um, you know, you want to think about what sort of lift target, three planes and so it's called multi planar training so you have your frontal plane your sagittal and your transverse plane which is basically your front back left right um top bottom and so basically what you want to do is focus on exercises involving these major joints of the body like your hip your knee your shoulder elbow you want to emphasize movements that include these multiple joints um, and that check for the kinetic chain to be aligned while you're doing them and so when you think about performing like a Let's say you're doing a reverse lunge for example that's a good example of one where you have to have good form but you're also um you know top bottom you're, everything has to be aligned properly and so um you know the ultimate program is one you're going to stick to i would say there's so many different variations out there there's you know with weights there's body weight but just getting started with something um and having it be sort of the right amount for you is really the key so if it's 20 minutes 30 minutes two days a week three days a week Um, Typical recommendations for improving strength would be eight to 12 reps. So whatever you're doing, that's sort of the sweet spot, depending on what the activity is. Um, So that's sort of my recommendation. You can incorporate resistance bands. I know there's certain days you could have be a little bit more intense if you want to have the weights included. And then the other days could be more like body weights, stability type exercises. Um, That's sort of my preference for lifting.
0: Yeah, definitely a really good question. And I think there is some confusion in the running community about like why runners lift, right? So the best thing that you can do, like you said, to become a better runner is to actually run. And so then the question is like, well, why are runners lifting then? Wouldn't it be more productive to be running? Um, So the reason is that it helps you stay um, injury-free, helps with injury prevention, helps to not get any imbalances, right? those sort of things. And the longer that you're actually able to stay injury-free, the better able you're going to be able to run consistently. And running consistently over time is what's going to make you a better, stronger, faster runner. And so it's the consistency over time that's really compounding. And that's why a lot of runners are going to strength training to make sure that they can stay consistent over the years. Because while yes, running is a high-impact sport that can help build some muscle. Sometimes, like you were said, having the multi-planular planular training plan can really help avoid some of those injuries that can result from overuse. Um, and so running is just like the same repetitive motion over and over again. And so anytime you're doing something like that, you can risk these overuse um, injuries, but having really strong muscles overall can can help a lot. Um, so I do think it's important to really understand like why you're doing this strength training. And like you said, just incorporating it two times a week can make a big difference for a lot of runners, but also making sure the focus is right. So making sure you are still getting your running workouts in and getting the endurance side of training as well, working that aerobic system. And really there's nothing you can do that's going to, replicate running. But if you do wanna add in some cross training, so cross training, when we're talking about it, is aerobic in nature. And so it could be biking, stairs, elliptical. The reason that you might do some cross training is if you are building back maybe after some time off or you're just building back in general, building from a a base that you just wanna be able to run more you would probably do some of these cross-training activities until you can work up to a place where you're comfortably running five, six, seven days a week, whatever it is that you're trying to build to. Um, and cross-training can help immensely because you're able to work that same aerobic system at maybe that lower heart rate and maybe lower strain on the body, less risk of injury, and you're still able to work the same muscles that are targeted and running. And so that's why we usually recommend like biking or StairMaster or walking, um, for aerobic cross training, just because you're utilizing the same major muscle groups as running your legs, right? So the rowing machine, while yes, it does target the aerobic system, you're targeting the aerobic system of your upper body, which is not exactly conducive to improving in running. Maybe if you're training for like a ski race, that could be uh, good because you're using upper body, but yeah, runners focusing on the lower body, definitely a good thing to do.
1: Yeah. And just thinking back to like when we were in college, you know, we had so many workouts and and so many strength sessions as a team. And I think that that really was the key to helping me, um, you know, reach my mile PR and for staying healthy throughout college. Because, you know, there's no there's no way to tell like what I would have ran if had I not strength trained. But I, I can guarantee that it did help give me that extra edge and like power and strength and confidence, really, to be able to just hold that pace a little bit longer or to dig just a little bit deeper um, and then after college, you know, I kind of dropped the ball a little bit on a lot of that stuff because we didn't have the team structured uh, lifting sessions or even just like the dynamic warmups and uh, activation drills that you would do. You know, you'd spend so much time doing that uh, during practice. A lot of that stuff starts falling through the cracks. And then a few years later, I end up with some injuries and um, I can't help but think that's probably why I quit doing a lot of that stability, that power, uh, those exercises that really do help you stay healthy mm-hmm. and um i think for adults who are injury prone it's just it's so much more important to be doing it for those reasons now if you're if you're a pretty durable athlete then you need to be looking at strength as more of like uh, okay this is a missing piece like If if i do this i can maybe take my running to the next level that sort of thing like what performance benefits can i get out of this should i be focusing on increasing my strength you know this muscle group that muscle group what type of lifts and uh, and kind of go from there but um and then in conjunction with you know with the workouts like you said that's really the prime you 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 have to be able to be healthy enough to execute workouts and if if you're not doing that and i know i've been through periods in the past where i just wasn't healthy enough to be able to do a workout because of my lack of um, strength in a certain area so i had to really go back to the basics of prioritizing strength and then that just would set me back i wouldn't be able to execute on workouts for a while so
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to bring up with runners. Um, A lot of runners have extremely weak glutes. Like, I went to the PT probably five years ago for, like, a hip-related injury postpartum, and she asked me to, like, flex my glute, and obviously I could do it. Um, I did do it, and she was actually shocked, and I was like, what's so surprising? And she goes, usually runners can't um, engage their glute. And I was like, I don't even understand like how that's possible, but it did really make sense because I still really had pretty weak glutes back then. But if you think about it, um, with running being a repetitive sport, and if you're not being consciously aware of like turning on every muscle that is needed in the sport of running, and which I think a lot of runners neglect because most people aren't doing workouts and if they are, maybe they're not reaching their potential in workouts, Right. Um, so you you can start getting really lazy with your form. Your body wants to be as efficient as possible. And sometimes that means like shutting down like major muscles, right? <laughs> so it could be like, oh, we're not going to use the glutes. Um, and you just get used to running with that terrible form. And that's how these injuries end up popping up, right? Is because we have major muscle groups like glutes turned off while we are trying to run. And so what is that doing? Well, it's pulling from the hip muscle. It's pulling from the lower limbs. Um, it's pulling from other places. And that becomes challenging to run over time with major muscle groups turned off. Injuries can happen. Um, with that being said, one of the prescriptions for you know coming back after that injury was, okay, you gotta do some glute work. And like you said, it, you know, I kind of got a little lazy, kind of didn't want to do it because I was like, what's the point? And then I started going into more heavy, heavy lifting because I think that's a little bit more exciting. You can see your gains progress. But one of the things that was really difficult for me was going into the weight room for the first time and realizing, like, I couldn't even really squat the bar with proper form. And so what is proper form of the squat? It's going to at least 90 degrees. And so, in order to know if you're doing that or not, sometimes maybe you have to film yourself, maybe you have to look in the mirror. And it's it's incredibly challenging to squat 290 and go slightly below, right? And that's um that's you know glute strength. (laughs) I mean, right there. And if you're a runner, you could be the top of the line best runner, you could be winning races. But if you're not focused on strength training, you go into the gym and you are humbled by your inability to squat down with a, a bar on your back of, of 45 pounds, right? Um, that's it's humbling. And you don't want to really be in that place. I think mentally the ego is like, what? This, this doesn't make sense. And so it can be really challenging to have that beginner's mindset in the weight room when, especially when you're lifting legs, because you're sitting there saying, well, I can run so fast for 5K. What's the deal? How come I can barely even squat, you know, with even my body weight? And I know a lot of runners, and I'm not going to name any names, but I'm friends with a lot of runners and stuff. I have been friends with runners where they have done 10 body weight squats and the next day they are so sore that they can barely walk. And so, and these are, these are people that win, win races. Like what I say? Like win a race. Um, So it's not uncommon for runners to get to a very high level but yet still have these really strong muscle imbalances which maybe it doesn't impact their running right away but I think eventually over time or once they reach maybe an older age um, either injuries are going to crop up or they're going to reach a place where they have to start strength training because of um, weaknesses that are forming and you don't really want to get to a place of desperation when you start to implement these things. And so I think strength is important at any age and getting ready for the inevitable decline that does happen to all human beings. (laughs) Once we hit that second half of life, you are going to lose muscle mass. I know that's really hard to hear, but you will lose muscle mass. And so it's really important, especially if you're in that first half of life to try to put on the muscle mass, try to build that strength because you will have a decline. And so that's not to say that You can't gain strength when you're older. I'm just saying over time, it's going to be more challenging when you are um, older. So really focusing on that and and thinking of yourself as a whole rounded athlete, an entire person, not just as, oh, I'm only going to hyper focus on running because really a lot of us are running for our health and we don't want to neglect that part of our health.
1: Right. No, that's really well said. And I'm sold just hearing you talk about that because like the goal is to feel healthy and strong like when we're older right and yep if you can just invest even an hour a week into some strength um you know most people are running five to seven hours a week running so that's such a small chunk uh, of your time doing strength but it, it goes such a long way and it not only can make an impact with your running but just overall like feeling right how you feel about mm-hmm. yourself and your body composition and um
0: Well, it's not even that, it's like functional strength too. So I listened to a podcast once and it was this guy, you know, he's like hitting his 40s, 50s. He decided to completely switch how he's working out because like us, he was really performance based. Like he wanted to like hit these PRs in the weight room, like crazy deadlift and like run really fast. But once he kind of got to that midlife, he was like, you know what? I actually want when I'm 90, when I'm 100, I want to be able to have the mobility and have the strength to do things such as, get up off the floor if I'm playing with like my great grandkids and so like what do the exercises look like where I would get up off the floor holding a 40 pound child like that I mean that's that's not an easy thing to do especially uh, maybe you've never (laughs) really done it but like whenever I'm kind of playing with the kids like that that's something where I'm always like wow I, I have no idea how I would be doing this like if I'm not strength training Um, And sometimes we don't think about things like that, like shoveling, or there's other manual labor things in life that I think when we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, as runners, we can like muscle through it, kind of get through it because we're like fit enough. But, you know, eventually kind of some of that muscle starts to deteriorate. And I I do see that with people in my life that that don't lift who are maybe a little Mm -hmm. older. It's like you kind of start to see that it, it does get challenging to do basic things such as get up off the floor. Um, And so (laughs) I know that sounds a little funny, but having that strength now when you're young, having it very aggressively where like you can squat, you know, your body weight. um, Those are things that later in life will translate to being able to get up off the floor, right? So you have to have a certain level of strength, I think, at each decade is how the guy on the podcast was describing it. And so figuring out what that is, um, is really important. So moving into the next question. This question was very interesting. Um, on the off season, can a runner maintain sixty miles per week and focus on getting leaner? So there's two parts to this question, right? Can a runner maintain sixty miles a week during the off season? And then the second part of the question was, can a runner focus on getting leaner? Um, these are two; total, they're two different questions, in my opinion. And so, each each part, I'm going to give it an answer. And then it's kind of like a summary answer, just based on I don't really need to know any other information, so I would say, no, you should not be doing this. um can you do it maybe, but I'm going to talk a little bit about a real life example of a pro runner that we all know who did this, and now he doesn't run anymore, so we're <laughs> let's do a deep dive. So can a runner maintain sixty miles per week during the off season? so that question is. Yes, and it depends on the athlete background, though. So we really want to talk about that. 60 miles per week would injure most runners even during peak training. So for the most people, people who are listening, that's probably going to injure you. Um, even for a seasoned athlete whose, you know, peak mileage was 60, we're not going to be doing 60 miles per week during the offseason. But where this would make sense, where someone could on the off-season, run 60 miles per week. I would say you'd have to be the same athlete that's peaking at around 80 to 100 miles per week during your peak marathon training or 5k training, whatever it may be. So we don't want to be running more than 75% of your peak volume during the off-season. So whatever that reduction is for you, if it does fall around 60 miles per week, well then you can probably get away with doing 60 miles per week. And that rule kind of applies for everyone. So How many miles per week should I run during the off-season? Take your peak uh, training mileage during marathon training. Maybe that's 45 and multiply it by 0.75. So we're looking at 33.75 or, you know, 34 miles a week if you did 45. Um, Let's say you trained 80 was your highest mileage week. Well, look at that. 60 miles a week. Um and that was actually my peak week for my marathon training and I I do not run 60 miles per week during my off season but I could right or this person could if they're peaking at 80 miles per week. The second part of this question is, is where I want to focus. Um on the off season, can I focus on getting leaner? So, I would say that if that was a question asked in isolation, the answer is yes. That's actually the best time to focus on getting leaner if that is your goal. So if your goal is to get leaner, like let's say you are overweight or you are obese and you just train for a marathon or half marathon and you do want to lose weight, maybe like your doctor wants you to lose weight, whatever it may be, our dietitians would even attest to the off season is, is a good time to do that because you can either have performance goals or you can have like the weight loss, body composition goals. And usually they can't be done at the same time because it's hard to have performance-related goals when you're in a caloric deficit and you're not able to fuel properly, all of those things. So I think the off-season can be a good time for someone who is in the category of needing to lose weight and wanting to get leaner. Um, but when you're asking this question, so the person who's asking this question is, is asking, Should, can I lose weight while I'm only 60 miles a week? Um, I would say chances are that if you are already running 60 miles a week, you are not in the category of overweight or obese. Like, just most, most like, I've, I've, I really don't think that you would need to be losing weight. So, if you're already at a healthy weight, um, which you probably are if you're running 60 miles a week, yeah, I would really encourage you to not focus on weight loss. You're probably already at a pretty healthy weight if you're running what, 60 miles a week, what is that? Nine miles every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah. So if you ever have listened to Ryan Hall kind of talk about his whole debacle into leaving the running world and um, focusing on his strength training, he actually did exactly what you're describing, right? So he had a season where he kind of did some marathons. And then right after, during that off-season, he went into a fast he decided he was going to fast and lose weight. He wanted to get down to his lowest ever weight. Can't remember exactly what it was. I mean, it was like 128, 130. I don't know. It was, it was pretty light. I was like, dang boy, like that's he lost he lost quite a bit of weight and he said he felt really good. Um and then he started training again and his body just like was not responding. It started shutting down. Um this is a guy that's, you know, set set records in the half marathon kind of was the first American I think to break 60 in the half marathon amazing runner right um but then he goes and he wanted to lose I think he lost about you know 10 pounds probably during that offseason and it completely derailed like all of his potential is what he has come out and, and talked about Um, so after he lost that weight, he was actually never able to perform at the same level. Um, he's publicly said that it was a mistake for him to try to lose weight during that time in the, in the way that he did. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's kind of sad to think about, but it is good that he puts that story out there so that we can all kind of like learn from that. It's like, he says that even if you're at that lowest weight doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be performing at... You know, the best that you can be. And I think sometimes people get really, really wrapped up in, oh, you know, if I just lose two, five, six, ten pounds, I'll just be faster. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, there have been so many times where I'm coming back postpartum and I'm like 15 plus pounds heavier than normal, but yet somehow still able to run the same paces, if not faster. And so a lot of it just has to do with your fitness and your racing weight is not what you read in a book by whoever you know. I know there's a book out there called like racing weight. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, you don't need Who to wrote lose. That, I, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, seriously, and that's another thing. Salzar didn't he used to? I mean, Alberto Salzar, terrible, yeah. terrible stuff, but. He used to say to these professional Olympic runners that, oh, you you need to lose five, ten pounds. And it's like, did that ever do anything? No, it didn't. It it caused a lot of his athletes to leave the sport, get kicked off. You know, it's just a terrible, terrible focus. And so I think it's really important to um, assess, like, where you're at with, like, a realistic attitude of, okay, if if you're running 60 miles a week, you're in the top genre top plethora of all athletes out there um you you definitely don't probably need to be losing any right. weight and so i really have you focus on like where is that coming from kind of like, what is the purpose behind that um and maybe maybe like chat to dietitian chat with a dietitian about it because i think there could be better things to be focusing on during that time um Brian Hall, right, he kind of, like, quit running, and he, he got really into strength training. He started lifting a ton, wasn't really running a lot. But he, um, he still runs at a pretty high level, even though his main focus is, is, um, is lifting. Because what is him and Nick Simmons, they're doing, like, a thing? I think they're
1: trying to break a five-minute mile. Break the five-minute mile. Minute... 500-pound deadlift. So they
0: deadlift 500 pounds, and then immediately after they're going out and trying to break yep. a five-minute mile. Which I think, you know what's funny is I don't get why more people don't talk about what they're doing. Because I think that's the coolest thing ever. It's
1: a good challenge, yeah. But, I, yeah,
0: I don't understand why more people in the running world aren't talking about that. I mean, that would be so incredibly difficult. And I don't think anyone else besides those two guys could really do that. Because think about how fit you have yeah. to be VO2 max wise. I mean, you have to right. have that base. And deadlifting, how much? Five, 500 pounds? Yeah. That's, that's one insane. One. I mean, that's an insane amount of weight. I, I mean... For comparison's sake, like, I literally have been deadlifting for, like, four to five years. I deadlift, like, 165. Like, I, I don't even have any idea how someone could do 500 pounds, then go out and run a five-minute mile. But that is to say, he says that ever since he started lifting more and all those things, energy has been going through the roof. He feels a lot better and all that thing. Um, so I think it's really important to be focusing on, like, how we're feeling, not necessarily, right. um, like, a number on the scale,
1: yeah I think so many times i I hear from athletes like they want it all at once, right they mm. want to lose weight, they want to get faster, they want to increase mileage they want to get stronger I mean and you know it's it's okay to want those things, but you have to learn like you said learn where that where that's coming from like what's what what is the reason behind that and then right. also focus on the process like don't worry so much about the numbers and like hitting this and that get get s- serious about the process, like just doing the little things day to day and then hopefully you know, you make progress and it's really about how you feel. And that's where I think if you have some sort of professional on your team, whether it's a trainer, dietitian, they'll help you sort of keep that in check and identify what are the, what are your goals that are more like, you know, day-to-day goals, things you can, you have a lot of control over, you know what I mean? Like things that you can implement into your routine. And that's really what is going to help you kind of reach new, new heights with your running or with your strength or your body composition.
0: Definitely. And I think it's really important to note that like, There are those books out there like racing weight and just dumb calculators. I don't even know why they exist. Um, And in other sports, so like in the sport of maybe skiing or for sure biking, there is like literally a formula of like, okay, you weigh this much. How much is your output? Like there's a lot of weight focused stuff because – When you are going downhill and you're on a bike, yeah, to be the most efficient, isn't it like you need to, I don't know, is it way less or way more? I don't don't even know. But weight does play a huge role in some of these other sports because you are on like a vehicle. And so like if your bike weighs five pounds versus 50 pounds, you're going to go faster on the lighter bike, all of those things. Um, but when it comes to running, it's, it's like your whole body and everything moves together biomechanically. And so just by losing five pounds, that doesn't necessarily mean that, Oh, like it's going to be so much easier to move my body because you could be more dehydrated. You could be actually losing muscle mass, which is not beneficial. So I think it's just really important to look at yourself like as a whole well-rounded athlete and understanding that lower weight does not mean faster times. There's a lot of people on Instagram that'll even share like, oh, you know, like when I weighed this much, I ran this time and then I gained 10 pounds and I ran 10 minutes faster. And even myself, like I started lifting, I think it was about five years ago. And since then I probably gained like seven to 10 ish pounds. And my marathon time, I was kind of stuck in the three, three twenties for forever. Right. When I was almost 10 pounds lighter than I am now, but now it's like, Consistently more in like the three zero or like that one time 2.54. So it, it's not relevant. Like it's just if you're strong and you are training in a way that's going to make you faster. Like doing the right workouts. Fueling properly. Um, being consistent with training over time. Being strong. Those things are going to outweigh, oh, if I lose, you know, 5 pounds or 10 pounds, I'm going to get faster.
1: Right, right, and I googled that that book because I was just curious who oh, wrote God. it. It's Matt it's Matt Astero, same oh. author as eighty twenty running. But you know, this is for high end endurance level athletes. Like they're doing like all the little things that you can consider to help you get that next level of performance. So it's like balancing energy sources, well, that uh, that racing weight, uh, timing your your nutrition and stuff like that. And so you know, I think it's more. Yeah, I mean, those are the things you should be thinking about. And
0: well, it told uh, me I did that once, and it told me it's. Sh- like that, I should weigh the same that I was weighing back before I started strength training, but now. So if I look at that now, being you know strength right. training, whatever, it would be like hey, Victoria, you need to lose ten pounds, and it's like, mm, also, but do I though? Yeah, and it it's wow. just like it's it's I I just think it's weird because it doesn't really take into account like for example, a Patrick Cutter, right? Like I don't know All people right. here follow Pedro cutter i mean the guy's a machine he runs like two what is it 234 is his marathon i don't even know um super fast and he weighs what like one 180 i don't know he's buff man like you I mean, the guy yeah. has muscle and so it, if he did racing weight it would be like oh we'll lose 30 pounds and it's like no that wouldn't that's not conducive to like helping you um at that point so anywho i'm kind of going to go off my soapbox with that but it's important to remember just because you lose weight doesn't mean you're gonna get faster and vice versa and Another way to prove that point is just look, like, if you've ever watched a finish of a marathon, just go stand when the clock says, like, three hours. You are going to see all types of bodies cross Wait. that finish line. Like, there are people where you're like, what? You know, it, it doesn't have a body type. It's It's just the ability. And if you do the training you can do the thing. So, yep, yeah, that's how it goes. Um so if anyone wants to get a free 7-day trial working with a coach, we do have a few spots still available, but we are definitely filling up this um spring or I guess winter season. So make sure you're filling out that form and getting connected with a coach because we don't know how many more spots are gonna be available um, this spring. So that would be at www.runforprs.com If you want a free seven-day trial working with a coach and you can get some of these custom workouts like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, you can get custom workouts specific to you. The coach will calculate all your paces. It's a really good time. So again, that's www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.